So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 29. Just to kind of give a little idea, last week we talked about this woman who came to Jesus on behalf of her daughter and was crying out to him, screaming out to him, pleading that Jesus would heal her daughter. And we talked about kind of what was wrapped up in all of that and what it looks like to cry out to Jesus in faith and how uh, he is faithful. So Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and, I, and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciple answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls uh, of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were 4,000, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got in a boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. Just to give you a little map, for those who are interested in maps, Tyre up there in the upper left-hand corner and that little city up there called Sidon, that's where Jesus was. He was there, and that's where the woman of that area, the Gentile area, came uh, to ask Jesus to heal her daughter. So he went, and there should be a little dotted line, beep, 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 beep all the way down to um, end that sound with it, beep, 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 uh, down to the right side of that Sea of Galilee there, into that area called the Decapolis. That's where he is now. Again, another Gentile area, and... Uh, This is where he feeds the 4,000. The 5,000 was on the other side of the lake. The 4,000 is on on this side by the Decapolis. Now, I want to go over very quickly Living Springs' mission statement because this story fits right in line with our mission statement. Living Springs' mission statement is to reach our neighborhood and the surrounding cities with the love of the Father. It's to restore lives healthy relationship in the Son, and to respond to a move of the Spirit. Everything we do, every program we have, should have something to do with reach, restore, and respond. If you have an idea or whatever, and it doesn't fit in with that, it like fits in with another R, like, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Something else? There's a good chance we, we won't pick it up. Okay, because this is our mission statement. We're dead serious about this. We're dead serious about reaching those who don't know Christ. We're dead serious about our lives being restored so that those things that keep holding us down are set aside so that we can walk as a new creation in Christ. And we're dead serious about responding to a move of the Spirit, that we weren't here to just come and listen and learn and get spiritually fat and never do any exercise. And sometimes... It gets messy and sometimes it gets dirty. And, I, you know, I, I was telling the first service I started working out again. And so I've only been working out for two weeks and I'm, I'm always sore all the time. Right. But it's not I, until I push through that, you know, it's not going to make any difference. And so sometimes what happens is we start to respond. 
or we start to get restored and it, it hurts and it's different and we give up. We don't really get the full joy of what happens when we stick with it. So what we're going to look at this morning are five different things that we see coming from reach, restore, and respond and see how they manifest themselves in this story. So let's get started. The first thing is to realize the commitment. Realize the commitment. When you, you know, if you go to our membership class today, I'm going to ask you for a commitment. A check for $1,200 made out to me, and then you can... No, I'm kidding. I'm going to ask you for a commitment, a commitment to serve, a commitment to give, a commitment to be involved, right? A commitment to take your spirituality to the next level, to be all that God had called you to be. These are the commitments. And so when we talk about what it means to reach, restore, and respond, we have to realize the commitment. We have to understand it. When, when you have a... Um, in finance, when you've got all your books and everything and you realize a loss, it means you declare it. You say, I understand this is the loss. Or if you realize gains, those are your gains. You pay taxes on and whatever. When you realize a commitment, you understand. You say, this is the commitment. And it, it, it confirms with your spirit. Now listen to this. Matthew fifteen thirty. Great crowds came to him, bringing lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they laid him at his feet and he healed them. I want you to see another verse. Because when you put these two together, it kind of paints a good picture. His disciples answered, where will we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? I want you to understand what's happening here. You have people who can't walk, people who can't see, people who can't hear. You have people who have problems in their bodies. And they got to get to this remote place where Jesus is. How are they going to get there? How is the guy who has no leg going to get to Jesus. He needs somebody to help him. I mean, imagine if we if I walked up to a, a, a guy with no legs and I'm like, oh, man, you know what? There's a, a, a half a mile down. There's a guy who can heal you. I know he can heal you. Man, good luck. Have fun. Drag yourself over there. That would be ridiculous, right? They need someone to help. Now, I want you to understand the commitment. These people who are bringing these lame people to Jesus had to make a commitment to walk along the road with them. They had to make the commitment of having them on their shoulder, saying, now watch out over here, watch out for this, to do the journey. And church, I have to say, when we, when we are carriers of the gospel, part of our job is to walk alongside those who need Jesus. To get involved in their lives, to understand where they're coming from, to see the pitfalls and say, no, no, we're going to go this way. Watch out. We're going to get you to Jesus. It's a commitment. It's not just, you know, you're out of Starbucks, you hand them a track and then hope they accept Christ before the coffee gets cold. Right. It, it, there's a there's a commitment to say, look, I, I'm going to invest in this trip, this this road with these people who could not get there on their own. Easter is a perfect example there's an opportunity. Almost everyone you ask to go to Easter service, if they're not going somewhere else, will say yes. Because it's just what you do. You go to Easter. And we don't do this in order to build up Living Spring or to make us great or whatever. It's to Jesus. It's all for Jesus. We have to understand that there's a commitment. Now, there's another part of this that I want us to see, I want us to get a um, uh, kind of a vision for. 
we talk about bringing these people to Jesus, but imagine what that journey back home would be like. Imagine you spend all this time. Remember, they're in a remote place. You're walking with him. He's on your back. You're just kind of hobbling along going, if we can find Jesus, I know he can heal you. He's done it before. This area is not, they knew who Jesus was. As a matter of fact, right before we went into the Beatitudes, which was kind of the thing that all these messages have hinged on since, uh, as we go through Matthew, it says that the people from the Decapolis went to go hear him when, right before he launched into the Beatitudes. They know he's a teacher. They know he's a healer. At that time, he was healing as well. So they're bringing them to Jesus because they know he can heal. He, we know he can heal. For those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, we know what it, how your life is so radically changed. How he comes in and brings peace that surpasses all comprehension. We don't even understand how can I have peace in this situation. We know. And so we grab someone with us and we say, come on, we're going to take you to Jesus. Now imagine they go through this thing and the journey back, the guy's got both legs and he's walking going, I can't believe it. Thank you. This is amazing. I can, don't worry about me. I got it myself. You want me to carry anything? You want me to, what do you want me to do? Imagine the difference between the journey there and the journey back. That's what it's like to bring someone to Jesus. Yeah, the journey there is a pain sometimes. But the journey back is awesome. People who couldn't see before who now can. It's the same in the spiritual realm. People who could, didn't have the tools to deal with life, now they've got the Holy Spirit teaching them, guiding them. Now they have gifts to be used for the kingdom. There's nothing like that. That journey home is fantastic. And we reap the rewards of being with them in both. We realize the commitment that there is. Secondly, we rely on His competency. It says, Great crowds came to Him bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. See, all of this, everything we do in our mission statement to reach, to restore, and respond, absolutely relies on God's ability to do it. Not on our ability to be fancy or smart or hip or whatever. It all relies on Jesus. And so when we bring someone, the lame and the crippled, and, and, and those that don't know, and those who are struggling in life, we just say, Lord, do a work. And isn't it a relief to know we don't have to do that work, that that's the Holy Spirit? I mean, how many people have done this? Where you invite someone to church, and the pastor starts speaking, and now you've got your friend sitting next to you, and you're like, oh, no. He's talking about, don't talk about that. You don't know this guy. He, he hates that. He don't do that. Pastor, don't do that. Right? Most of you guys are like, yeah, no, it happens every Sunday. Okay, great. <laughs> Fantastic. Right? And then the service gets over and they're like, wow, that was really neat. Why? Because the Holy Spirit did it. Other times you bring someone to church, you're sitting next to him going, oh, pastor, you're nailing it. That's exactly what he needs to hear. <laughs> Praise be to Jesus. Ooh, I can't wait to talk to him afterwards. And the dude's just like, this is why I don't go to church, right? Looking at his watch or he's crying and it's like, oh, that's great. What were you crying about? I don't know. I just had something in my eye. Dunk, uh. You know, we used to have a neighbor that every time she came to church, she would just cry the entire time. She'd just sit and cry. 
I don't know what the Lord was doing in her, in her heart, but I'm glad I didn't. Well, for, first of all, I'm glad I didn't make her cry. But uh, I'm glad I don't have to worry about that. Now, this word for laid, when they laid them at Jesus' feet, uh, um, is very important because here it's translated laid, but everywhere else in Scripture, it's not translated that way. When you, when, when you read how Judas took the coins and threw them in the temple... That's the same Greek word, ripto. When you read about how Paul was traveling on a ship and that ship was sinking and they started throwing stuff overboard, it's the same Greek word. And I guarantee you, they weren't going, okay, you know, the boat's sinking, just lay it down there in the water. Right? They're tossing this stuff overboard. Okay? It's the same Greek word that when it says, if you mess up one of my little ones and you cause them to stumble, it would be better for a big, heavy millstone to be tied around your neck and you to be thrown into the depths of the sea. Same Greek word. So you get another picture that they're just taking these guys and just going, heal them! Heal them! You know? Somebody, one, two, three, you know, piling them up in front of Jesus. Now, it's probably not that bad. I'm probably exaggerating, right? But you get the idea that there's a sense of, I can't do it. You take them. And this is vital for us to see. We cannot, through cleverly crafted words or anything else, persuade someone to come to Christ. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? You're cleverly crafted. See, I can't even say it. Which shows you, you shouldn't do it. No, it, no you're going to fail them. So when you come up with your big ideas and then you fail, what happens? It has to be the Holy Spirit. And doesn't that just take so much of the burden off? Let God do his thing. Rely on his competency. He's the great physician. He's the one calling them in the first place. And he knows the language to speak. Okay. Look what Mark uh, 7.37 says. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He, even ma- he makes even the deaf and to hear and the mute to speak. He has done it. They said, He has done all things well. When someone comes to Christ, I want them to know, it was Christ that did it. It had nothing to do with me. We rely on His competency to fling these people to Jesus. I love that. I want you to read 1 Corinthians one twenty two. It kind of expands a little bit more on this point. Jews demand a miracu- miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. Okay, stop right there. It kind of divides people into two camps. Those who are looking for an experience, those who want to see a miraculous sign, and those who really want to understand what's going on. And they're not One's not wrong and one's not right. As you begin to talk to people, you'll run into those kind of two things. Like, well, I want to see God do something. If, how come there's so much suffering in the world? Why, did God, you know, why doesn't God just do this? Why doesn't he do that? Or you should see my own life. Why doesn't he do something for me? I've done all this stuff for him. Right? Am I still good? Okay, good. Um, others, they want to reason. They want to understand. Okay, well, now explain this to me. And why doesn't this happen? And, okay. The great thing is, All we do is preach Christ crucified. We let the Holy Spirit work out all those details. Now, do we have arguments? Yes, it says to be ready in any season to give a defense for the hope that's within you. You, you, we, We do have it. Are we relevant? Yes, we're relevant. But ultimately, it comes down to this in verse 24. 
uh, 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Christ is going to be one of those two things to those who don't believe. Either it's foolishness that doesn't make any sense or it's a stumbling block. Like, don't tell me I'm a sinner. Right. But that's okay. That's where I was before I I had a relationship with God. I was right. I was right there. But now watch in verse 24. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Once someone comes to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, the lights come on and he's both their power and their wisdom. We've seen it true without exception. Right? When you think about God and the relationship you have with him through Jesus Christ, don't you think about his amazing wisdom and how through the word there's an answer for everything and his great power and how he's he's uh, sustains us and how he takes care of us and all these different things, how he how he works our lives to have purpose and meaning. But it's his competency that's going to do that. We just preach uh, Christ crucified. As a matter of fact, after this, Paul says, when I came to you, I didn't have uh uh, eloquence or superior wisdom, right? I just proclaim to you the testimony of God. That's all we proclaim, your testimony. This is what God has done for me and let the Holy Spirit take care of the rest. Rely on his competency. Third, we reflect his compassion. He says, Jesus c- called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have, have done nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Now, think about this. This is kind of strange to me, because if I were if you brought a bunch of bodies and cast them uh, 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 in front of me and I was just like going beep, 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 and they were getting up and walking. Why would I care whether or not you had anything to eat? I just healed your best friend. Okay, so run along now. Okay, but that's misunderstanding the compassion of God. See, to God, it's not just the restoration of a physical body. It's not just someone coming to Christ and now we can knock them off and check them off the list and now we're on to something else. God is interested in you not collapsing along the way. See, there's a, there, there's a compassion of God that says, look, I want to have right relationship with you, but you've got to get rid of that sin. And when we do, he says, oh, it's restored. Now... That our relationship with restored. Let's see how I can sustain you to go day after day after day. Christ has, even after he's done all this stuff, he has compassion for these people just for their daily food. Now look at Jesus. He's fasted for 40 days before. So three days is not going to kill anybody. Okay. But he loves us and he cares for us. And it's another, it's another idea about this restoration process. Remember I was saying restore? That we have a responsibility once we reach people that we stay with them on the journey to make sure they don't clap, collapse. We read about this in Matthew when Jesus said, man, these we, there's, some, there's some people that are going to hear the word, they're going to be excited, they're going to grow up, and then the ch- weeds are going to choke it out. Right? We need to be there weeding. We need to be there nurturing, watering taking care of these people. Jesus did. He cared that they wouldn't collapse. This idea of collapse is, is basically to become unstrung. It's a, if you imagine a bow, and the bow has a string on it, and that keeps it bent, and it's real tight. And so when you put an arrow in there, and you let it go, it shoots real far, and there's that, there's that strength there. 
And the idea, this word collapse, is an idea of a bow being unstrung and then it's just useless. There's no more strength there anymore. And so he's saying, I, I only, not only do I want them saved, I want them growing. I don't want them collapsing on the way home. And it's just, oh man, he's got this compassion. In Romans 2, 4, it says this, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? It's God's compassion. If we lose the fact that it's about people, why do we invite people to Easter? Is it because that's what you're supposed to do when you become a Christian? No, it's that we, out of compassion, we understand what God has done for us. And we say, Come and see. I'll leave the rest up to the Holy Spirit, but just come and see. There are people all around us, neighbors, co-workers, people at school, all this stuff that are collapsing under the weight of our economy, of uncertainty, of a bad marriage, all this kind of stuff. It's our compassion that says, look, give Jesus a shot. Come, let the Holy Spirit work. Or maybe not even to church. Again, I was telling last service, you don't have to invite them to this church. Like, let's say you're like, well, I don't want to invite them because I really don't like your messages. Okay? Invite them to another church. Take them. Take them to church. I've never been to this church either. I hope it's cool. Whatever. Do something to get them to a place where Jesus can do his work in compassion. Number four, we recognize our connection. We recognize our connection. It says, Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. Now, we talked about this when we were talking about the feeding of the 5,000. It's the same thing. What's happened is Jesus takes what you have and he blesses it, and he gives it back to you, and you take it, and it's more than you had before, and guess what? You give it away, and then you're empty. And then you turn around, you go back to Jesus, and he gives you more. Why? Because there's more people. Because you're using what he's given you, this connection. There's a connection that you have a job to do in the kingdom. Even people within the sound of my voice who've never made a decision to follow God. You say, I don't even believe in God. I'm an atheist, whatever. Fine, that's cool. I still believe that you're, necess- you're needed in the kingdom of God. See, but I don't believe in God. Well, that's your problem. Okay, no, I'm kidding around. I'm joking, all right? The idea is there is a connection between you and the kingdom. You were designed for it. And so what happens is he gives them to the disciples and they in turn to the people. See, after we're restored, we're used. We respond to the Holy Spirit. The reason we reach is to glorify God. The reason we're restored, the reason we get rid of some of this junk in our lives is to be used. He gave them to the disciples. Now watch this. The disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Now before you come down on the disciples, because Jesus already did this (laughs) just not too long ago. So when you read that, you go, well, dude, what do you mean where can you get enough bread? Jesus is just and there's a whole bunch of bread, right? But isn't this us? 
I mean, I praise God this verse is in here. Because I've seen God do miracle after miracle after miracle. I've seen lives transformed. I've seen people get over addictions. I've seen all these different things. And then I see somebody and I go, whoo, I don't know what the Lord's going to do with them. I don't know how in the world they're ever going to understand. It's the same thing, isn't it? I mean, how many times does the Lord have to do a miracle in my life to where I have faith that's just like, oh, yeah, no problem, no sweat. But it's, every, you know, <laughs> we have it in our own lives. And what Jesus says is, how many loaves do you have? What do you got? Sometimes it's so hard when you look at things kind of from a global perspective to go, whew, I don't know what God's going to do. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I don't know how is he going to. I mean, man, look at the world and look at the way uh, America's going down the tubes and all this kind of stuff. I don't know what to do. What do you have? Is Jesus's reply. What are you doing? What, 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 what gifts do you have? What strengths do you have? You know, one of the things, uh, uh, the Crees are doing a small group. If you're not in a small group, I, I, I check in the back, check out this one. And basically they're going over your strengths. What are they? Once you find those out, that's what you got. Now, uh, a person came up to me after first service and said, yeah, but isn't our power perfected in weakness? Well, absolutely it's perfected in weakness. But my point is, if you don't give them your strengths, he's not going to use your weaknesses because you're holding back. You're not connected to what God has. We've got to give it all to him. Okay, so there's a connection. What do you have? You look and you go, man, I don't know. I know a guy who, um, a friend of mine, had this edger in his garage that he wasn't using. It's an edger. I don't know how an edger is going to be used for the kingdom, but his thought was he had an edger. His neighbor, he didn't need it. So I guess it wasn't really that big of a sacrifice. Well, anyway, he didn't need it, right? He sees his neighbor needs an edger, and he says to himself, hey, this might be a connection we can make that he knows I love him, and I'm thinking about him, so that there could be a... You know, now, all it was was an edger, but it built a relationship. What do you have? Oh, I just got this edger. Give it to your neighbor. Do something. It doesn't have to be this huge thing. We, I hired the blue angels to buzz his house as a reflection of my love for him. You know? It doesn't have to be a huge thing like that. It could be just an act of service. I have one of my neighbors, every, uh, we put out our trash on uh, Monday. Or sun, you're supposed to put out Sunday night, but Monday morning, I'm usually running out there in my underwear like, oh, before the truck comes. Well, not, not in my underwear, but... Uh, and my neighbor, every Monday, he gets home before I do. He brings in my trash cans just because he's cool. That's all. I know him to be a really cool neighbor. Why? Because all he does is bring in my trash cans. What do you got? I don't got anything. I just bring in my neighbor's trash cans. Fantastic. Fantastic. You are connected to the kingdom of God. Every, what did Jesus say? Just a cup of cold water. You've done it to me. Just this little earthly thing has huge kingdom dividends. We need to think of our connection. Think of us. Think of it in terms of that. Recognize our connection. What do you got? One one uh, men's retreat we had, uh, I think, three years ago. When I first got here, it was on the five loaves and two fish uh, of the of the feeding of the five thousand, and. Uh, 
we went, as men, we just like went and started filling out a notebook of what do you have? And, you know, it was just like, well, I got, you know, and I said, do everything, everything you have. Yeah, I got four pairs of shoes. I got, uh, you know, uh, you know, one drawer full of T-shirts. I got all that. And you just start going, going. Then you're just like, man, I got a pretty good marriage. I got kids that love me. And you just start going page after page after page. And had, had we given ourselves enough time, we could have filled the book. When you start to think in terms of, well, man, God could use anything for the kingdom. Once you realize your connection, it could be anything. That's, that's why I was so proud of this church. And thank you so much for making the sacrifice to go to two services. It's hard. But a bunch of you guys stepped up and said, what can I do? I'll pick up trash. I'll teach kids. We, we filled all the, all the roles. You know, there'll, there'll be more. But it doesn't have to be at Living Spring. The kingdom is everywhere. If you don't do anything at Living Spring, hear me. If you don't do volunteer to do anything at Living Spring, but you're involved in your neighborhood, better, even better. We'll find the people at Living Spring. If you make that connection, if you don't do anything here, anything, you don't, you're not involved in one single thing, but you're doing something at work for the kingdom of God, fantastic. It doesn't have to show up on any of our lists, any of our books, anything. God knows, but be connected. What do you have? One last uh, point here. We renounce our capital. Capital is a term that we usually think of in terms of money. But don't think of it that way. I just needed another C. So I used capital. Look at this verse down at the bottom. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I want you to understand this because... You know, oftentimes this is preached like if you give your tithe, God's going to give you back 10 times that. And I believe that to a certain extent. I mean, the Lord does that kind of stuff. Okay, but I don't want you to think that way. I want you to think in terms of the kingdom. That as you give of yourself for the kingdom of God, as you take everything you have, you take an inventory of what you have and you give it to God he takes it and he uses it beyond you what you could imagine. Look at the verse here in verse 15, uh, verse 34. How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Now watch what they say. Seven and a few small fish. He didn't ask about the fish. But see, we've been in this series about next step. They're taking the next step of faith. Going, yeah, I get, we got these loaves and we also got these fish. And I was thinking about that and kind of laughing to myself this week. You know, I'll bet after the, Jesus did it this time, all the disciples started carrying around cool stuff that would be great for him to like, you know, like, Carrie, you have some chocolate. And we've got some chocolate, Jesus, if you'd like to get that. We've got a 21-month-age steak that you might want to do for this lunch. You know, they're carrying everything around. What? They're adding stuff to the list now, right? You, last time you used fish, I got some fish too. And next time it'll be something else. And next time it'll be something else. And so when we think in terms of, of this verse, given it will be given to you, we think, oh yeah, he's talking about money again. No, I'm, th- I'm talking about everything. Not just money, but your time, your, your talents, baking cookies. It doesn't matter what it is. As you give, just think of it having kingdom returns. There was a lady at my office, um, uh, back at my old job, not here, um, and uh, we had this warehouse and um, 
she was just crying on the steps in our warehouse. And, you know, I, I've known her for a long time, and I knew it was most likely her boyfriend. I, she was in an unhealthy relationship. So at first I was just like, I kind of like, you know, I saw her and I'm like, oh, she broke up with her. I wasn't a pastor back then, so my heart was black and cold and hard. Whereas now, it's like the Grinch, you know, it's really grown and, uh, no. But I was like, man, I was super busy and I didn't have anything to do. And I, I, I didn't, you know, I mean, I didn't have, I had tons to do. I didn't have time to, like, ask her about her boyfriend because, quite frankly, they probably should have broken up years ago. But, so, I'm walking by and the Lord's just like, dude, you, it was just clear as day, just pray for her. Just pray for her. So, I went up to her, and I'll protect her name even if you don't know who she is. Methuselah. Uh, I said, you know, what's going on? And, you know, my boyfriend. I'm like, oh, here we go. Yeah. And the Lord's just like, pray for her. Pray for her. I didn't know what to pray. It was very awkward, okay? It was extremely awkward. For those of you who know me, I've got the, all these boundaries set up and I'm in a warehouse with a girl and it was just, she was all emotional and I'm just like, dear Lord, you know, because <laughs> it was uncomfortable for me. But the Lord made it very clear. Now, guess what, guys? I don't have an ending to that story. I have no idea what she's doing now. She left the company, whatever. She probably thought I was a freak anyway. I'm just like, you know, pr- praying with her like that. But that's the kind, that's what I'm talking about. I don't mean to use myself as an example, but just to go, look, all I got, the only sacrifice I'm making is to put aside my work and go, you know what? I need to make time for this. And it might be, you might be so busy and you put this side, this time aside to clean the house and you get that phone call or you're cleaning the house and you've only got a certain amount of time and the Lord puts someone on your heart and you go, I'm going to give them a call. That's what I'm talking about. When you give that, it comes back to you, pressed down, shaking together, overflowing. And great, great, great kingdom things have happened because of those little tiny things of just renouncing the capital. And look, in verse 36, he took the seven loaves and fish. And that's scary. We talked about this when we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. He took it. And there might be some things in your life, guys, myself included, that God wants to take. And that's scary. But let me tell you, if he gives it back, it's blessed. And you can use it for the kingdom. If he keeps it, it was an idol. And you shouldn't have it in the first place. I was talking uh, uh, last service And I really felt it was a word from the Lord because I didn't have it in my sermon. So I want to repeat it again. For some of us, it's it's bitterness. We've been injured. We've been hurt. And there's something weird in humans. You might not agree with me, but just hear me out. That kind of likes to get hurt a little bit. Like there's a weird sick thing. When you get cut off or you're like, oh, my gosh, oh, this is that enjoys the superiority of being wronged to say, I know what's right and he didn't do it. 
And so the reason I know this, the reason I know it feels good is because we hang on to this stuff year after year after year. And we keep mulling it over in our minds and we keep losing friends because that's all we can talk about. Have you ever had that in your life? I know I have where something's happened. Somebody's hurt me. And if you were to call me during that time, that's what I'd talk to you about. You'd call up and say, hey, John, how you doing? And I go, oh, fine under the circumstances. Well, what are those circumstances? Bob at work. Remember him? Well, I was up for a promotion and I didn't get the promotion and he didn't get it. And there's something that feels good about that. And you say, no, no, I want it gone. I, 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 it, I need to have it gone. There's too much pain. And I'm telling you, there is an element that, yes, you do want it gone and I want it gone. But there's another element that we've got to hand it over to Jesus and say, whatever you want to do with it. Because some of us have gone through pain and the Lord will hand it back. You've lost a loved one. You've gone through a really terrible relationship or whatever. And the Lord takes it and he says, look, we're, I'm going to give it back to you, but you're not going to use it for yourself anymore. You're going to use it to comfort others. And so you'll find yourself, once we give it over to Jesus, on the phone going, you know what? I understand what you're going through. I went through the same thing. And let me tell you what Jesus did when I gave it over to him. You see that? See, some things, even the bitterness, he gives, well, the bitterness he doesn't give back. But you know what I'm saying? Sometimes we carry a little bit of pain with us as we go along so that we can, what, go back to the compassion for others and relate to them. And we can do great, great kingdom work out of our pain. Why? Because we serve a great, great God who can meet us in the midst of our pain. It says this in James 1, 7. Every good and perfect gift <clears throat> is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. When we give it to God, if he gives it back, it's a gift that we are to give to others until it's all gone and we go back and we get some more. If he takes it, it's a gift. And some, some people in the sound of my voice, you know exactly what it is that God wants to take. And you know you're not going to get it back and that's why you haven't given it to him. Because you know you shouldn't have it. And you go, man, I, I don't want to give that to him. Isn't it funny how we are? Like we know it's destroying us. We know it's unhealthy. We know it's not good. And the Lord says, give it to me. And we're like, no. No, no, no. I want it. It's like, but you're losing money on it. You're, you're, it's, doing, it's destroying your marriage. I know. But I'm afraid. And I'm here to tell you, with the, that's a shifting shadow. If it's money... You know, look at the stock market. Oh, no, 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 no. When we give it to God, he does not change like the shadows. He's rock solid. As the worship band returns, I want to look at this last part here. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the cripple made well, the lame walking and the blind seen, and they praised the God of Israel. Guys, this is it. When I talk to somebody about Jesus Christ, I'm talking about God radically changing their life for his glory. Will their life get better? Absolutely. But ultimately, it's for the glory of God who created us for his good pleasure. I love Mark 37. It's talking about this specific 
place and it says, they were beyond measure astonished. (laughs) Do you want to be beyond measure astonished? Have a kingdom mindset. Reach somebody for Christ. Allow yourself to be restored to a new level of holiness. Respond to the to uh, the move of the Spirit who's saying, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do this. And respond. And you will be beyond measure astonished. I didn't memorize that. I probably should have. Who wants to be beyond measure astonished? I know I do. But it takes an act of faith. 